I feel a ton of guilt whenever I try to take a lot of time to do something just for myself. I really do. I feel terribly, terribly guilty. And like I'm very, very selfish. And I know intellectually that that's not true. But somehow it's gotten to a point that that's how I feel. And it's really, really hard to, to get past it. That's Lauren Pricer, whom we spoke with in our very first episode, talking about her trouble with self-care. We feel that her honest explanation of that conflict within, the knowing intellectually that self-care is not the same as selfishness, yet still having a difficult time applying that understanding to your life, is something that most moms can relate to, which is what makes this episode so very important. This is Where Was I, a podcast about a parenting transition we are calling Empty Nest Version 1.0. I'm Angela Arsenault. And I'm Jessica Tickton. In our last episode, we heard from Mary Starkey, a leader in the private service profession, who pointed out that, in her experience, many people in our Western culture are not good at accepting help. We see this as being directly correlated with the common failure to practice effective self-care. Psychologist Dr. Ray Ann Barry says she sees a lot of clients struggling with proper self-care. One of the reasons she thinks this is such a common issue is that people have a hard time identifying the problem for themselves. They've gotten themselves to therapy, so they know they want to talk about something, but it's not the norm that someone comes to her saying, help me learn self-care. Self-care is a very common issue, and a majority of people who come to therapy have to address it in some way. I think they have a hard time because they're not clear that they're actually doing self-harm in some way. If, if part of self-care is verbal interactions with yourself, many people are very unaware of what they're saying to themselves, and so they continue this thing verbally, that they're unaware that they're saying. And the therapist, any therapist is listening, can hear those words and then even feed those words back to the person. Often people are surprised or they don't think the words that they're saying are detrimental at all. Think about this for a moment. What sort of monologue is happening in your mind when you consider doing something that's just for you? What stories are you telling yourself about other women who make self-care a priority? Do you speak favorably of them? Or do you sit in judgment and silently question her commitment to her family or to her job? This is where self-care starts. It's in the words you use to speak about and to yourself or about the action of self-care. One of the things that undermines self-care is negative self-talk. So one of the things to be thinking about, looking at, even writing down is what is it that you're thinking to yourself? What is it that you're saying to yourself? What is it that you're thinking and saying out loud? And even to write it down so that you can look at that to see and get a sense of whether it's positive. If it's the kind of thing that you would say to a good friend, is it the kind of thing that you would say to your beloved child? then you're probably on the right track. If it's the kind of thing that you wouldn't dare say to a friend or a good 
or your child, then that's the first place you have to go to re, in some ways, rewrite how you're going to speak to yourself, to change the story you speak to yourself. Writer and comedian Autumn Spencer uses what she calls the mean friend test to check her own negative self-talk. I have this idea of the mean friend. You know, if you had a mean friend, if you, had a, if you were spending time with somebody and you said, I am going to go and, you know, I'm going to go to yoga or I, maybe I'm going to go get some therapy or I'm going to, you know, make sure I go to bed at 10 o'clock every night, whatever it is, you know, and that friend was like, stay up, you have to keep working, or you, or you don't have time to go to your, you would probably stop hanging out with that person, right? But we are our own mean, mean friends all the time. And we were mean to ourselves. Um, and I think we're taught to be mean to ourselves because we're taught, we get these messages growing up, and I hope that that's shifting. You know, I'm raising a daughter, you're raising, I'm hoping that's shifting for our girls, but, um, and, and, and for our sons too, but we get this message growing up that, um, that w- maybe we're not worthy, that we don't deserve to care for ourselves, that we don't, um, that it's not of value, you know, that it's somehow selfish. Um, and, and even with a, a mom like mine who, you know, and, and so many of us had these moms who worked really hard and maybe were the first in their family to go into the workplace and work full time outside of the home and all that. It's, you know, there were so many great things that she role modeled, but self-care was not one of them. Um, it was always everybody else first. And that's not sustainable. It doesn't, it, it comes back somehow, you know, you're, you're ill or you feel badly or you just don't feel like you. So I think that, um, I try to think about that mean friend. If I, if I can't say to myself, no, you don't have time. You know, I wouldn't let a friend say that to me and I wouldn't say that to a friend, you know? So I have to think about like being a good friend to myself. Self-care is often thought about on the doing level. What do you do to take care of yourself? Do you go to yoga class or run three times a week? Do you have a weekly girls' night? Maybe you let yourself go shopping and consider that a way of taking care of yourself because it makes you feel good in the moment. All of those things might be a part of your self-care practice, but they're not even close to the whole picture. And the idea of instant gratification as self-care demonstrates a misunderstanding of the concept. Sometimes self-care gets confused with self-indulgence and spoiling, and they are they are not the same thing. One has to do with an adult responsibility to emotionally, physically, psychologically, spiritually take care of yourself so others will not have to take care of you. And the other has to do with taking, taking on or doing or eating or doing things that exaggerate a caretaking, but it's damaging in the long run, like eating too many candies. As a just a simple example, right? Oh, as a, as yeah. a way of saying I'm taking care of myself, but it, in the long run, too many sweets are damaging to the body, and they're not helpful to the person's own personal self-esteem. Self-care enhances self-esteem, and it's a major component to an adult's well-being. Modeling this particular aspect of healthy adulting, if I may, is one of the best things you can possibly do for your kids. As Autumn mentioned, her mom did not show her that it was okay to take care of oneself, so she had to learn it as a grown-up, when the learning process is, frankly, much less convenient. Self-care has to be, by definition, 
something you're doing first and foremost for your own benefit. But the power of modeling this behavior for your kids cannot be ignored. Here's Dr. Barry. Well, as you practice self-care, you are also in every way modeling for your children how to take better care of themselves. What you do and how you do it plays a very major role in how it affects your children, not just what you say to them, but that you actually do it. And even if you allowed yourself to speak out loud to yourself in a respectful manner, you would notice in a very short period of time the kids would be doing exactly the same thing to you and to each other. It would take them no time at all, maybe a week, to pick up those kinds of conversations. It's very easy to see how quickly a kid can learn verbal, out loud, and to themselves, self-care. So it's a huge importance of a role model, and most mothers are very invested in raising their children the best they can. They do all kinds of things to help their kids be better. Sometimes they forget that what they are actually doing in regards to themselves has, I think, a huge impact, often a bigger impact than anything else that they do with the children. Which kind of brings us back to our original point, that great divide between knowing this stuff and practicing this stuff. Of course we all want to do what's best for us and for our kids. So how can you implement your own self-care practice or strengthen the one you already have? Well, the first thing you can do is give yourself a break. Dr. Barry points out that perfectionism is the enemy of self-care and positive self-care as you transition to better self-care is key. The part that's so important is as you change a habit to improve it, you need to pay attention that you're keeping good self-care talk while you're changing the habit. It will be harder and harder to change a habit. Talking to yourself out loud or privately or writing it in a journal really, really matters that you continue to encourage and support yourself as you go along and change habits. If you're in a relationship or co-parenting with a former partner, then another important piece of this self-care puzzle often is the way you communicate your self-care plans to that other person. If you're the primary caregiver, this can be especially important to keep all the childcare bases like pickups, drop-offs, after-school activities fully covered. When I was interviewing Autumn for this episode, I could feel myself outwardly and enthusiastically agreeing with her when she expressed her belief that there's time for both partners to practice self-care and that nobody ever has to justify or explain why they're doing so. Inside, though, a small voice in my mind was saying, well, yeah, but it doesn't really work that way. It's not that easy. I want to go to yoga four times a week, but that would be so disruptive to our family life. Aha, so there she was, my mean friend. You can't just do whatever you want. That would never work. That's what she was telling me. Thankfully, I had the opposite of a mean friend sitting in front of me. And she explained that self-care is not disruptive. It just takes a little planning and clear communication. I think if you are always doing it as a surprise, like out of sort of if it's, if it's a reactionary, this is happening, like this is happening. I'm leaving in five minutes and I'm going to this class. Sometimes that happens and that's okay. I think that to make that shift, you can, you make a decision and, and I, and 
I say this like I'm really uh, great at not at making decisions, but I can be very indecisive actually. Um, but I think you make a decision and you are clear, you make a decision and you make a plan. So you say the, the, you know, there's seven days in a week, four of these days, here's a, here's a calendar. These are the days that I'm going to exercise, to therapy, to get a massage, to go on a walk, to see a friend, whatever those thing thing is that you're doing. This is the time I'll be gone. These are the days. So it's not a surprise. And then the partner's like, well, you know, sometimes the partner can be like, well, what about this? What about that? Like, you, look, you have four days to figure out how you're going to make dinner and have me be gone. You know, and if it's also like, well, this doesn't work, then like you, then, okay, then you come back to me with a schedule and, you know, keeping, taking into account that I'm going for four days and you, you let me know when you come up with a better plan. Because you can't just, I gave you a plan, I made this decision, I've been really clear about it. You can't just, you know, throw rocks at my plan and just, just tear it down. If you don't, if you don't like it, it doesn't work for you, then you need to do the work of coming up with a different plan. Otherwise, this is it. And I think that that being, because, because what is that person doing? It's not actually about, it's not actually about how it's disruptive or it's selfish or whatever. It's something happening in the relationship. It's that person feels irritated with you or left alone or uh entitled to never have to you know be the person worrying about what's for dinner and home alone with the kids or whatever it is and it's actually not about you and that's a really hard thing to get to as well but so if, it, if you're always surprised if it's always angry and reactionary and surprising like now I'm leaving well it is disruptive and so, again sometimes I think that still has to happen but Mostly it's like, this is how we do this now. This is how our family operates now. These are the days I'm going to do this. Let's not forget that we're talking about improving your self-care practice amid this massive transition of going back to work. Dr. Barry offers this helpful reminder to set you gently and confidently on the path to kick-ass working mom who also takes incredibly good care of herself. It's challenging to be home and being a, a real good mother. And again, giving yourself support and respect for doing that. Then leaving that job, which is a pretty major job, and going back into the workforce, it will take a fair amount of energy and, again, self-focus to be sure that your self-care talk is respectful and positive and honorable of you, not degrading you because you were only at home or you were only taking care of kids, but giving yourself the respect that is deserved of a person who has basically run what I think of as a small little company, which is what a household is, and all the different tasks and skills it requires, and using that as a way of thinking about all the different ways that you are already successful. I think you have to really pay attention and think about it in detail so that you go back with a sense of self-respect. It's pretty important. We think you're pretty important. The work you do as a mom and as a member of our society is important. It's time for you, for all of us, to view yourself the way you're viewed by those who love and know you the best. That starts with self-care. If you found a way to work self-care into your daily routine, please share your wisdom on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast. On our next and final episode, we'll recap some of our favorite moments from the first nine episodes in an effort to highlight the points we hope you've truly heard, internalized, and maybe even acted on. Thanks for listening.